Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Welcome to Purgatory. I'm your host, Erica, an avid Purge fan, and I'm here with my guest, Jordan. Thank you for joining us. And also, Jordan is the person who came up with the name of this podcast. <laughs> so besides that, could you tell us more about yourself? My name is Jordan. I am a 30-year-old white woman for some context into this. I <laughs> I am straight passing. I work in the arts and I first watched this movie quite a long time ago. So it was a really fun to revisit it. I'm a cat lady and crafty as hell. That's pretty much what I got going for me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm staring at your um, crochet project from I don't know how long ago, but I really like it. This was my first COVID crafty project. It's a big blue scarf that's really a blanket that's too small to be a blanket for anyone but a child. Children need blankets too. They do. I just don't have one to give it to. So it's been my it's been my uh, backdrop. It keeps me from blending into my my background. <laughs> But I'm really glad you agreed to do this. And today we're going to be talking about the first Purge movie in the franchise. Confusingly, there's a movie in the franchise called The First Purge. But this is the very first one in the series, just simply called The Purge. And before we continue with this conversation, I just want to stress, for lack of a better word, that we're not going to necessarily do a scene-by-scene recap. We're just going to do an overall discussion of the things that we took away and we feel that impact our day by day. So coming back to the Purge franchise itself, I know you said you revisited, but can you tell me your familiarity with the franchise and how you came to find the Purge? Coming to find the Purge sounds like such an interesting word choice for some reason. I don't know why. But my history with the Purge, the first time I ever saw a Purge movie was actually with you and my old roommate, Chad. And my boyfriend at the time, Joe, I think. Um, I think we all were in my apartment. We did Wings and watched like the first two or three Purge movies, um, which in retrospect was really weird, but like it was a great time. I came away <laughs> loving the movies. Such a weird thing to do, but it was great. It was fun. I remember having a great time. And really, I don't think I watched them more than once or twice since then. And that was probably six or seven years ago now, if I'm thinking about it realistically. But when Erica and I were talking about this podcast of hers, I got obsessed with it again and have since watched The First Purge. And by The First Purge, I mean the movie titled The First Purge and the Purge TV show, which I'm obsessed with, by the way, we should talk about that. It dives into, I'm really into the psychology behind like what happens after the day after The Purge. That fascinates me. So I'm really excited to talk about that a little bit because I've got thoughts about that with, with this movie. I rewatched The Purge, the first in the franchise, last night and started to try and watch The Purge Anarchy again right after it. But this was at like one in the morning and I'm like, Jordan, you're an adult. You can't stay up that late. So I'm going to finish watching that after we're done talking today. I'm recently re-obsessed with it. <laughs> And I just want to point out, we watched three of the Purge movies. I think we started at like six or seven when the sun was first going down. And (laughs) around 10 or 11, we were watching the third one. And I was like, this movie is crazy. 
because they had like one of the main characters being like my negro and i was like that nope <laughs> what is this that's no <laughs> all right so yeah it was like six or seven years ago so it's hard it might be hard to remember this but can you tell me like your initial thoughts on the movies or just the initial thoughts that you had now re-watching it on the first purge yeah. I think that my reactions were very different between the two. I And it's very possible that the first time around watching it, I had a different reaction because I was watching it with friends in the context of essentially having our own quote unquote purge party of like binge watching these movies. And we had a plan to watch all three regardless of how we felt about them essentially. I don't remember how I felt about the first one at the time, but I remember really enjoying the entirety of the night. However, <laughs> coming back to watch this movie last night, I have a direct quote from my stream of conscious notes that I took. Let me find it. I've got two full pages of word notes in 12 point font that I took on my phone while watching this movie. But essentially the thought process was like, why did I think this was so good? It's it's like, I mean, I, I appreciate the movie for what it's trying to say, like the franchise itself for what it's trying to tackle. But this movie, I've got a theater background and an arts background. And like just looking at the blood packs in this movie, I have a line that says, did they straight up use ketchup and acrylic paint for Henry's blood on this in this scene? And just looking at it, I was like, that looks like a exactly like red acrylic paint on this man's hand what is this right now and <laughs> I'm just like these people are so dumb so I don't know if I had watched it for the first time today as Jordan the 30 year old if I would have continued watching the franchise had I had no other experience with it but then again people really like to watch bad movies if that makes sense mm -hmm. And realistically, I probably would have kept watching, especially if I had friends like Erica who were like, you need to watch these. Because I listen to my friends who have good content, especially ones who have, have good opinions about things that might help me as a person who is not of color or who has more privilege than a lot of other people consuming media that might help me understand other things. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And I will say... <laughs> I talk about The Purge so much with my friends and then I have to be like, but The Purge is like a B movie at best. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> at its very best, it's a B movie. It's a low budget movie. Ethan Hawke actually cut his salary and like got back end points rather than take the money up front. And I think he mm -hmm. crashed on the director's couch. That's how fucking low budget this thing is. <laughs> yeah, I saw, um, I was doing some research just so I would be fully prepared for this. I think it said like the budget was $2 million, either 2 or $3 million, which is why so much of it was inside when like all of the beginning credits were of outside purge like recordings essentially which i thought was really interesting i mean two million two or three million sounds like a lot of money but i guess when it comes to all of the technical things they had to do mm -hmm. to make it work i could see that but also direct quote these blood packs these blood packs are wild <laughs> so uh <laughs> interesting so they they picked their priorities yeah they had lena headley before like she was cersei so yes. they had like a before she was famous type thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Jordan at midnight last night had very strong opinions about Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey. I have, I think, three or four notes saying I really hate Ethan Hawke in this role. And at one point, I just straight up start referring to Lena Headey's character as Cersei in my notes. <laughs> Except so. I think she whimpered a lot more than Cersei. Like, I've never oh, yeah. seen Game of Thrones, but I'm like, I feel oh, like two very different characters. Oh, absolutely. Cersei <laughs> comes out at the end of the movie, for sure. <laughs> no more violence <laughs> yeah no that's leg- legitimately it says oh can you my my notes say can you imagine staying up all night long as an adult oh there's Cersei get over a bitch you can afford a nose job <laughs> so we're gonna talk about the characters a little bit number one do you have a character that you related to and number two do you have a character that you fucking hated through this whole movie oh my gosh okay so I thought about this for a character I related to so hard and like I tried I don't have one that I relate to I thought maybe Charlie the like the kid just because of the technical and like trying to figure figure stuff out but like even that's a stretch for me I just I feel like I'm so much more empathetic than so many of these people and I just don't get behind like this disgusting display of wealth and like privilege that all of the people in this film have i tried very hard to find someone i could sympathize with and i could not make it happen but ethan Hawke's character i cannot stand in this movie like seriously i've got why is ethan Hawke checking out cameras before locking down aka why wait so long god i hate ethan hawk what in this role why is ethan hawk so stupid <laughs> ethan hawk is such a bad actor did i say i hate ethan hawk yet um, God, thank God Ethan Hawke is finally dead. Those are actual quotes from my notes. I wrote so many notes about how much I disliked Ethan Hawke in this movie. And I even went through and like, I didn't realize I didn't like Ethan Hawke as an actor until this, I rewatching this movie. I even went back and like looked at his IMDb profile to see if there was a movie that he was in that I liked. Because I'm like, surely there's something I like him in. The only thing I could find was Dead Poet Society. And even then, I don't know if I liked him in that movie or if I just really liked that movie itself. Mm. That's very fair. So I actually enjoyed Ethan. I think Ethan Hawke was like great at this role. Like sure. he really made you hate him. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I also don't have a character I can like relate to at all. Like. They're so extreme in their wealth. And then like the closest thing for me will be the man who doesn't get a name until the second movie. Or maybe, no, I don't think he even gets a name. Yeah, oh. he gets a name in the second oh movie. Oh my gosh. No, okay. In the credits, his name is Bloody Stranger. And I put that in all caps in my notes. And I was very upset by that for some reason. Very upset that his name was Bloody Stranger. Yeah, he's a main character. At least give him a first name. Like you could have called him Dan or something. Like he had dog tags. In this film, like you can't tell me that someone didn't glance at his dog tags while they were like not tying him up. That scene was also so weird. The, that whole like we have to get the man tied up. I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. You already Why? knocked him out. Just drag him out there if you're gonna do it. Like none of oh. it made sense, and I hated Charlie. <laughs> oh my yeah, Charlie, what the fuck? Don't open the doors. What's wrong with you? What is wrong? Also, why does this kid have the security code to open these doors? I think they were just like, here, watch this kid, watch his parents put in the security code. And then that's going to come into play later because there's no subtlety in the purge. (laughs) 
They're like, this no is not room. Inception. This is The Purge. <laughs> Very different franchises. <laughs> also, can we talk about that creepy doll thing? God. It's like, is this kid Sid from Toy Story? What is this? Where did he get Why the doll from? Yeah, what is this? It, and it had grits carved into it. Like it had the word, the word grits was carved into the chest of this creepy doll. Like what? Why? What, None why? Of this makes sense. It's so weird. It's so weird. Also, can we talk about how this, um, this black man who is in this house and trying not to be hunted, his first instinct in this movie is to go look at the creepy doll that's watching him when he's trying to hide behind this couch. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me that would be your first instinct when you've got a knife in your hand. I'm stabbing that thing. Yep. Not only that, but like this man is a vet and I'm supposed to believe like all this stuff isn't going to trigger him. Right. Oh my gosh. I have notes. <laughs> That's something like um, in, you had a question for me about like things that don't make sense logistically. Right. And one, one thing that I'm curious about the psychology of like prep and what happens after the purge i am positive that the va would have some sort of system set up for vets that are unhoused to go and like hole up there or something with the obsession that this country has about war and veterans and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but it also makes sense as like a person of color that he would be excluded Mm -hmm. from like getting that information but like the ptsd surrounding being a vet who is unhoused in this sort of situation. Yeah. Having like heard from people who've worked with the VA, that part isn't surprising at all. Cause they're like, Oh, it takes forever for my medical claims to go through. Uh-oh. And there's just like a lot of bureaucracy with the VA. That's why people are pissed. Cause they're like, I, this country is like all about like going to war and like spending all this money into Uh-oh. their military. But when we come back, like there's no infrastructure really. That's fair. That's fair. But, I don't have any actual background in that, so. But that was that a thought is, I had. I mean, that is a fair point, though. It's like, well, you spent all this money to like send them to war, and there's supposedly like a low amount of unemployment. I think they said like unemployment is at one percent in this universe. Yes, absolutely. So clearly, like, there's money going into the government. Like, shouldn't some of that money go into the VA housing right. some of the unhoused? Exactly. Exactly. Also, just something along with that 1%, we should come back to that when we talk about things that logistically don't make sense. But also, while starting to watch this, the Purge Anarchy last night, but in one year, this, this movie was supposed to play, take place in 2022. Mm-hmm. Purge Anarchy was in 2023. The unemployment rate jumped from under 1% to under 5%. Something happened in that year. I just need that to be known. Oh my um, god! <laughs> I noticed that, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what? <laughs> Something happened that year." Maybe COVID came for the purge too. Yeah. NFFA not doing so hot, huh? NFFA so doesn't that. know how to handle pandemic. Really not. But I just thought you'd appreciate that tiny little tidbit. Yeah, I do. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about things that don't make sense logistically in the purge universe. Yeah. In purge world. Yes. Okay. I've got a list for this because this is what really fascinates me. So we're talking about how we've got less than 1% unemployment and logistically 
the people who are most likely to be purged on purge night are people who are low income below the poverty line, who are statistically most likely to be the people working in those quote unquote undesirable jobs. So if all that's left are these people who are on the higher end of the spectrum on the wealth, who is working those undesirable jobs? Let's think about that. I'm guessing people who didn't get purged. I'm guessing the people who didn't get purged. But that makes me just just think like, sure, is the uh, the unemployment rates down, violent crime is down, but <laughs> this makes me think about how so many people who I could see falling into this rhetoric in, in the real world, that just makes me think that there's going to be more like undocumented immigrants and things like that in this world that are people that fall into this rhetoric are so against working these kind of jobs that you know what I mean have you seen the forever purge yet no not yet go watch that and then we'll have this conversation off pod because then you'll be like oh shit okay I definitely will but yeah that, that whole thing just makes me think like sure violent crime is down and unemployment is down but is it though and also, are the problems that you're hoping to be solved really solved in this instance for the people who would fall in line for this sort of thing? Another is, and this one makes me sad, but it's like a real thing. The only crimes we ever see in Purge movies are murder and theft. And let's be real, any woman in the world knows that there are an abundance of creepy dudes who are going to take advantage of Purge night. That is something logistically, like, I'm really grateful that they don't show that more in the movies or the TV show. I think they touch on it a little bit more in the TV show than they do in the movies. That's something that's just really unrealistic to me, logistically. And that, I mean, it doesn't bother me that it's not shown, but also I think it's really unrealistic that they don't show that. I think it might also speak to the point of, like, and we see this, like, as the franchise continues, is, like, the NFFA doesn't care as much about other crimes. What they want is like the murder portion because we saw it like in the fourth movie where the guy was like trying to get his ATM fees back. (laughs) The NFMA is like, no, we don't want this. No, no, no. Kill that dude. And it's just sad because really like all these people are dying, but that's all that's being reported on really. And that's all that's being considered successful when there's probably so many other problems that are coming out of this, this night of debauchery that's really going to mess people up. And I I really appreciate in the second season of the Purge TV show, how it kind of starts to touch on that a little bit. So another thing, logistically, I, I will be on this all day. So you let me know if I start talking about this too much. How are people so unprepared to be caught outside in the Purge? for like the people who are able to prepare for it. Like obviously someone who is unhoused may not have the resources to compensate for that. And I'm not totally convinced that the the bloody stranger, quote unquote, was actually unhoused in this film. And I, I can talk about that more if we want to talk about that more. So many people seem surprised to be caught outside on purge night when they go like get groceries right before the purge is supposed to start. Oh, you like in purge anarchy. <laughs> exactly. It's like, why are you going to go get groceries right before the purge starts and you're like upset and and like surprised to be caught outside unexpectedly? Um, so like, why don't people have plans for that? Or maybe I'm just a planner and I'm one of those people, but like, 
why don't you have some sort of protective equipment in your car in case that does happen or something? I don't know, but that's just one of the things my brain went to. Yeah. And to like go back to the whole, like the only thing that the purge reports on is the murders. And that's like the only thing they show. I don't know why in purge world, they don't talk about like gun registrations going up and they do show, I don't know how far you gotten into the second season, but they do show like a warehouse of weapons. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. You might have to come back and we just talk about like the purge TV series. Oh my gosh. I would love that because I am so, that's by far my favorite aspect of the purge just because it gets so much into the logistics side of things. I'm upset it was canceled. Oh, it was canceled? Yeah. So quick tangent, James DeMonica was like, so here's my plan for season three. We were going to talk about like how the purge moved outside of the country and you Mm -hmm. know how America, like our only export really is our culture. So we were going to explore like how it was exported out and what it trickled into in other countries. I'm like, I feel deprived. (laughs) Yes, that would have been fascinating, especially like since that is one other aspect of privilege. And that's one of the themes that I really took away from this film in particular, is that like privilege lets you escape all of this horror and being able to escape to another country. And it would have been so fascinating to me to see how, like, if you didn't have somewhere to run to, what you would have to experience, especially with the cultural differences that happen in other countries. I feel so so deprived now. I'm like, how do we get this onto, like, Hulu streaming? Oh my gosh, yeah, we need somebody to pick that up. I didn't even know that that was a thing, but I saw, I've been seeing hints of it in, I think it's the second season. Um, it's like in the news about how they're talking about possibly bringing that over. Fascinating. I feel so deprived. Um, do you have any other logisticals or should we just like jump into the themes? Let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's All right. jump right in. Yeah. So what was your main takeaway? Because I feel like with this first Purge movie, if if you're kind of watching it like for the first time, you might see only one theme. But the more you watch it, the more you could pick up on other things. It's inadvertently trying to say. But what was like the one that jumped out to you the most? I mean, privilege is power, 100%. And that money corrupts. Those are the things that really jumped out at me. Just the fact that at the end of this, like towards the end of this movie, these neighbors come and decide to kill these people who are clearly people that they have kind of liked at some point they bought stuff from them have decided that they're going to kill them because they chose to buy a product from them and then this family decided to do something with that money that was flaunting it too much or something like what kind of world is this that that is a like such a problem like I'm just thinking of like can you imagine one of your friends or like one of the people you went to college with that is like an MLM person now. Like I'm thinking of one person in particular <laughs> who uh, was in an art school with me who is like very into selling MLM stuff and is pretty successful with it actually. And I cannot imagine like buying something from her and then like on purge going to kill her because like <laughs> she's flaunting how successful she is on Facebook or something. That yeah. is pretty wild to think about like... I know I bought this from you, but I hate you. 
yeah, like, like you chose to buy it. Like you, you can't expect people to not do something with the money that they've earned. Like you chose to spend that money. So like money corrupts. And I think it also like with that privilege and like showing this upper class, a lot of people call them the 1%. And I'm like, I don't think they're necessarily the 1%. They're definitely like in the 10%, but. Oh, for sure. Like not the 1%. Anyway, but like showing this very wealthy, like gated community and like they do all the things for the purge. Like at the very beginning, Ethan Hawke bought the flowers and the purges are like, you're good folks like us. It says like this weird thing about like privilege bleeding into like civility and tradition even if the tradition is morally wrong or it harms others absolutely absolutely and just how quickly the neighbors were willing to rat out the fact that they took in the unhoused the bloody stranger to the people billed as freaks in the credits oh my god Um, yeah it was the polite stranger and his freaks those were, those were the people in the credits um <laughs> they couldn't give these people first names oh my god yeah there was one who was called the brunette female freak and the blonde female freak so I, they got upgraded but just how quickly they were to rat them out and i thought it was really interesting that the only people who you saw come to attack them at the end of the movie were the people that they had directly interacted with at the beginning i mean that makes sense the like for the movie but there was not a single person that they interacted with who didn't come after them which makes me think like these people are their friends like and so or at least they thought they were their friends in this neighborhood that's that's just wild to me just trying to compare that and like, I, I mean, I grew up in a, I wouldn't say my family was rich, but I think we were probably pretty well off. We were middle-class, upper middle-class, I would say, not like living in a gated community, but like we had an HOA, <laughs> um, <laughs> living in an HOA sort of thing, which is, I, fuck the HOA, first of all. Also, direct quote. <laughs> direct quote this is some shit that happens in neighborhoods with hoas first of all it's just like i can see grace who's the blonde woman who is like the person who was having the purge party who decided they were all gonna go kill people she was totally the karen of the hoa you know like she's totally that person yeah it's kind of like what you were saying earlier about like the day after like what are they supposed to do after i hope like yeah. mary didn't eat those stupid cookies Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, cause I came into this movie remembering like there's something with the neighbors and I thought it was all about the neighbors coming after them. I forgot about the polite stranger and his freaks, but like, I, I totally thought it was all about the neighbors coming after them. And I was very confused for a while. And then I'm like, Oh, okay, here they are. And it was so weird to me that it took up such a small part of the movie with the neighbors. And I'm like, these cookies are clearly poisonous when she gave them to her at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, don't eat those cookies. I very distinctly remember something going on with those cookies during the movie that never happened. Um, I had a very vivid memory of somebody eating those cookies and something real fucked up happening to them. But I imagine that entirely, apparently. You know, that first part is supposed to like make you think like, oh, they're really friends because like she gives her the cookies and people like pull up and they're like, oh, Mayor or whatever blonde lady is baking again. Look at Mr. Halverson. He's gained some weight from it. They're like, ho, ho, Mary, what are you going to do? Yeah. 
And then when they're like, you know, getting everything ready for lockdown, they're looking at their security cameras and everything. They're like, oh, they actually are having the party this year. I didn't know these people go hunting together. Yeah. It's like, huh, how interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm glad we didn't get the invite. (laughs) Didn't want to go anyway. It's like, maybe you didn't get the invite for a reason, James. (laughs) Did you ever stop to think about that? Like, come on, people. Like, come on. (laughs) It's purge night. What do you think's happening? Never trust Uh, anyone on purge night. Ugh, people. Can we talk about how the boyfriend just creepily, like, showed up? Yes. That's what, oh, God. I think that's, like, another weird, like, privilege, like, upper thing. I'm not really sure. But it's very strange to have, like, a dad being like, well, he's too old for you. The boy is 18. Oh, okay. I kept wondering, like, how, wait, how old is he? How old is he supposed to be? Because I, I questioned that, like, what is the age difference? It's, you're both clearly teenagers. It's a two okay, so that, age difference. That's wild. I thought he was, like, maybe supposed to be in his 20s or something. And then I'm like, okay, that's legit. But also, like, him just showing up and, like, covering your mouth like i get that to not scream but like that was creepy as hell and then oh let's start making out immediately because that wasn't fucking weird yeah it's oh God. he's like i'm not here for that i'm here to kill your dad it's like okay there's like a weird power struggle here that makes absolutely no sense although he was like i'm here to talk to your dad and she's like no that's not gonna happen he's like too late gonna do it and he ends up <laughs> yeah. getting killed yeah yeah it's like i i don't know that i expected that initially but like looking back duh duh he's there to kill the dad it's purge night like he's not just there because it's not like the dad can make him leave also this makes me think was henry who is the boyfriend's name was his entire role in this movie to get in that fight with the dad so that um the bloody stranger had a a chance to go hide once he got in the house that was his entire role reason for being in the movie Henry, the boyfriend, might as well just been called plot device. Exactly. 100%. 100%. But it, I don't know. I feel like in these very insignificant moments, it just shows like how privilege and power work, even in these like very insulated communities. Also, I don't know where Henry was from. Like now I'm like, is he one of the neighbor's kids? Is he from right. a different community? Was he just yeah. chilling? Yeah, I was questioning that too, because I, I was thinking about this and wondering, like, if if he came from a different, like, race, was he just trying to think about, like, the dynamics of how, how Purge tends to try and show things, and just trying to, because he didn't look like he was white necessarily, but he could have possibly been white, just just trying to think about, like, they, they kill off people of color in these films for a reason, and I'm wondering if it was, like, trying to be some sort of symbolism of like how expendable people of color are in this world and I I don't know if that's necessarily the case but I I was thinking about that a lot I don't know because I don't know he like was very white passing to me so he could have been like a white latinx person I don't really know but yeah for me it was more like this power structure and like privilege type thing of I'm your dad and I get to say like 
mm-hmm. who you can and can't date. And don't you talk about penises at our table, which was also another weird moment. That was weird. That was <laughs> so weird. And then the kids fist bumping over it. Never, never <laughs> would I have not a real family. <laughs> Absolutely not. What is this? <laughs> this is a scripted family. And oh they brought God. their own scripts to the movie. Ugh, I hated it. <laughs> That was so cringy so cringy but like that dynamic really reminded me of like the stereotypes that I saw growing up in the south and I don't I don't know how it is like in other aspects of like other corners of the world really but that made me really think of like debutante ball kind of gals who like give themselves to their fathers to be given away to some other man and like how controlling that was supposed to be do you know what i mean yep that sounds like the purity culture balls too yeah that's what i mean yeah just with like how controlling ethan hogg's character was supposed to have been portrayed by according to his daughter yeah i mean to an extent like i get it you're her dad like you do have a say in who she does and doesn't date but also you don't and the boy was 18 (laughs) she's 16 yeah, 100%. But like my thing is, we never actually saw Ethan Hawke's character interact with her boyfriend except for when they were shooting each other. We don't actually know how he interacted with her, with him, you know? It's yeah. Like I fully I fully believe that he was that strict, but like we actually didn't see them interact in any sort of meaningful way other than to like kill one another. That's true. If anything, he seemed to view him as an annoyance because I think Mary had mentioned zoe and henry and he like rolled his eyes and kind of like moved on to the next subject Mm -hmm. so if anything the boyfriend seemed like a bit of an annoyance i don't know he was like real weird about his daughter yeah just weird real weird yes (laughs) (laughs) such a weird family um not real (laughs) yeah so not a portrayal of a family so with this idea of like privilege especially in these like insulated neighborhoods how do you say that affects you like in your day-to-day or is it something is this something you think about on a regular basis or is it something that you just saw as like kind of integral to your own life growing up yeah so I mean I think that me as a white straight passing woman who is visibly able-bodied that I have a lot of privilege. I really do. And I would be irresponsible to not recognize that. And I think that it isn't something that I really have to think about much just because I live in a community that is also very white. When I was living in the South or when I was living in Arizona, I thought about it a lot more because I interacted with more people of color or people who are different than me. But where I'm at now, unfortunately, like, I don't know if unfortunately is the correct terminology that I want to use, but I don't really have to, it's not an unfortunate thing, but it's also like, I wish that I did have to think about it more. I don't really I'm not put in a position where I need to think about it very often. But I know growing up, I growing up in the South in particular, I grew up in a pretty well-off family. I grew up in a good, and I put good in quotes, neighborhood. I went to decent schools. I was a 
good student. I had all these things that granted privilege to someone who looked like me. And so I got away with a lot of things that friends of mine who were not people who looked like me and who had similar backgrounds than I did, they couldn't get away with. And so I think that's really something that does affect me a lot or it has in the past. And I'm sure if I ever leave the community that I'm currently living in, that it will affect me again. I try to be really cognizant of that in my life when I can. And I think that while I'm definitely not a perfect ally, I don't think anybody can claim to be, I do try really hard to put the effort in to be a good ally to people who are less privileged than I am. And it's, it really bothers me. I live in a very affluent community and it really bothers me to see how divided my community is because there, I live in a pocket of very affluent, rich white people. I live in a community that outside of that pocket there are a lot of people of color who do not feel welcome in my community because of who lives there. I know working in the arts organization that I do, that has been something that's been talked about a lot. And I really wish that there was a way to help bridge that gap and make it feel like a more welcoming environment for the people who don't have my privilege. But when it comes down to it, there are so many people who have my types of privileges who don't care and who don't want to put in the effort to make things easier for people who look and have experienced different privileges in life than I have. It's definitely affected me a lot. And I'm <laughs> continuing to try and use my, my powers of privilege for good and not evil. All right, it's very interesting that you struggled with like figuring out like, is it unfortunate or not to have your privilege tested on a regular basis? Because on, on the one hand, like, it is comfortable and it is nice to not have to constantly think about like, this is how I'm privileged and this is like how I'm benefiting from the system. Like, but then there are others who are, who don't have that ability. Absolutely. So I don't know, it's just like another light that the purge like really shines on is like how, how beneficial is it to not have your privilege questioned? Right. Right. Because, I mean, the people in this movie didn't think it was possible for anything to happen to them because James sold security equipment specifically for the purge. So how could anything ever happen? He's one of those people. He's top of his region. <laughs> so excited to tell everyone about that. So, I mean... And he's not even going to, and they don't even see the signs right in front of them of these people who clearly hate them enough to want to kill them. I think questioning, having your privilege questioned or having to think about that is a really good thing. There are a couple of people I've had in my life in the past who didn't really understand the concept of privilege. And I remember talking to them about it. You've met one of them, a long-term boyfriend that you've met, you know, you know him. And I really distinctly remember talking about that with him for the first time and just like not understanding what privilege was all about. And I remember we were talking about it one day and it finally clicked for him. And he's like, oh God, now I understand why Erica doesn't like me very much. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, maybe don't be a dick. <laughs> Use your privilege for good, not evil, man. Okay, I was wondering, I was like, is this the person that we play Cards with Humanity against and now calling a racist? 
<laughs> yep, that's him. That's him. Yeah. And um, I do think it got better with him after that moment. I think it did get better with Tim and Time. Had a very interesting way of explaining and displaying things. He's a good person, but he just had a weird way of looking at things. That actually gives me some hope because I was thinking too with this movie, it shows that the danger kind of has to come at your door for you to question your privilege and be made aware of things. Do you find that's the case in your own experience or I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this question of basically like, what does it look like to confront this privilege? Oh man, I think it's really an interesting question because I think I am one of, I don't think I'm one of the few, but I think I'm in this in the minority of people who have a lot of privilege who regularly try to think about that and who are open to questioning it does that make sense and I hope that doesn't sound like another sort of privilege in a douchey way and even then why do I care that that sounds like a privilege that's another privilege in, in and of itself that I have the option to question it I am friends with certain people on Facebook just to remind me that there are people who I grew up with who have very different mindsets about things than I that I do and that they interact with things very differently. And so they're going to react to privilege that they have in a very different way. I think I just said the same thing like four different times in different ways. But I mean, I, I think for me, confronting my privilege is a, is a learning opportunity. And I try to take it in with grace and trying to remove the burden from people who experience that who don't experience that same kind of privilege and trying to help those people and trying to soak that in. I know there are certain things for me that are uncomfortable when I'm facing them for privilege. Um, and it should be, I think privilege is something when you have it, you should be uncomfortable when you're faced with it. It reminds us that <laughs> privilege is a privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and so many people go through facing that discomfort all the time because they don't have those privileges. Knowing that other people who grew up with me, who look like me, who are straight passing, who are able, relatively able, visibly able-bodied, who confront those types of things with aggression. And I think would probably wind up on the side of like the new founding fathers and be very pro-purge. I, I think those kinds of people face it with fear, face face privilege with fear and I've had conversations with other white people who think that privilege is a very stupid thing to have to think about and that they don't think it's a thing and they're upset that it's even something that people talk about granted these are the same kinds of people who think wearing masks is stupid and are anti-vaxxers and who don't believe in science very much. But the thought process is there. And I grew up with a lot of those kinds of people. And I think fear is a real motivator. People are afraid of change and afraid of their life being different from what they've grown up being comfortable around, especially when you've never left your hometown and the people being surrounded by people who think and look and act just like you do. I am very thankful that I left my hometown and I could meet people like you who could help me grow. I think I probably would have grown anyway, but I think you helped me a lot in growing. When I'm talking to people and telling them about you, I tell them that you're kind of a little social justice warrior and I love you for it. <laughs> I, I'm really grateful that my freshman year of college, I made friends with so many people of color and people who are so, so different from me in a lot of ways. But like, realistically, 
have a lot of similarities and in, in background too, you know, so it's, it's a really good thing. And I, I really, really distinctly remember one time in college that really made me face my privilege and made me very uncomfortable in a really fantastic way was I think, and I think you were there and I very distinctly being the only white person sitting at a table with um, a lot of primarily black women who were talking about how untrustworthy white people were and how, do you remember this conversation? You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. And how, if it came down to a white person saving their black best friend or 10 white people, how they would save the 10 white people every time. And that made me so upset and so uncomfortable, but like, I couldn't leave that table because I recognized it for the learning opportunity that it was. And I was just like having a real existential crisis moment because I'm like, it's like the, the trolley problem in philosophy. I was thinking the good place, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Same, same thing. But I love my, I love my black breast friend, but also like, how could I not save 10 people? And I'm like, oh my God, I am this person that they're talking about. Holy shit. What is wrong with me? And I had this whole like mind blown thing, just hearing these experiences. And I'm like, holy shit, I am so uncomfortable. And I'm like, truly not sure if all of these people want me to be at this table right now. And I truly don't know if I'm welcome here in this environment right now. Just having this moment where I felt like people were being very aggressive towards me. And I know that they weren't in retrospect. And I know that they were just expressing, like talking and knowing at least, remembering a handful of who those people were offhand I didn't have a ton of experience with them. So it's very possible I was not welcome there. Maybe since you were also there, you can lend some insight to that. But I just remember that being like a really eye-opening experience for me um, in facing privilege. It might've been like, you were just kind of tolerated there. Like, oh, okay, well, yeah. she's friends with like this person and this person. So, yeah. and they seem like good judges of character. So I guess, mm -hmm. but yeah. That message was definitely like, I hope this doesn't fall on deaf ears. Like the way you react to this is going to be very telling. Yeah. And yeah. I can also imagine that they like didn't give as much of a fuck because oh. Converse is pretty racist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I wasn't going to call them out, but yeah, it's already out there. They're pretty fucking racist. Yeah. So oh, They absolutely are. They after absolutely a point. Are. Yeah, after a point, you're just like, I don't care. Sure. Yeah, and I think that was probably our freshman or sophomore year, too. So, like, I think it was our freshman year, actually, because these people who were our potential big sisses were at this table. I was like, I know she likes me. I know Erica likes me. I know this other person at this table likes me. I feel like um, I'm on at least okay ground with three of the, like, seven people at this table like I think I'm okay to be here but I very seriously questioned like should I be at this table right now I truly don't know if it's okay for me to be here right now but also how awkward would it be for me to leave as soon as they started talking about white people you know mm -hmm. like trying to soak that in I don't want to be that person I very just and this was when I was still very like uncomfortable with me as a human being to and just trying to navigate how much anxiety I exist with on a general day-to-day -day basis and just really trying to be like oh god what do I do in this situation right now 
and fully being like, you know what? These people experience this on the daily, Jordan. You need to suck it up and just like learn from this experience and hope that none of them resent you for being here and trying to soak this in. I knew most of those people tangentially through you and our other friends who are at that table, but I, I really don't think I spoke to many of those people very much outside of that experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. I think now you can like follow them on social media. That makes it. And I do. Yeah. And this is like, uh, I'm kind of stealing this from last podcast on the left, but um, paraphrasing it for this purpose of like, privilege is not your fault but it is your responsibility Absolutely. and we saw in the movie like even though charlie was a little bitch <laughs> <laughs> he, he did use his privilege to house someone and try mm. and like give refuge to someone who like was going to be murdered by a group yeah. of like white rich assholes who were like you're just like us but yeah. you know James and Mary to an extent were kind of like we only have to protect us and like why do we even need to care about this person who's seeking refuge right right yeah and that's honestly something that 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 itself was part of why I was like maybe I empathize with Charlie a little bit because I would I'd like to think that I would try to help someone in that situation who's clearly genuinely terrified, you know, they're not trying to just get into a house to get into a house. In that instance, you could tell given context that they were genuinely running for their life. And this whole thing with, with the bloody stranger and Charlie is really fascinating just because Charlie wants to help him throughout this entire movie. And is kind of the only reason he's alive for most of it. And Charlie makes really poor life choices, <laughs> but he's also fighting, bugging against privilege which is really, really interesting, especially for someone so young growing up in kind of that kind of environment. It's interesting. I think Gen Z right now is doing a really fantastic job of bucking against the system, which is awesome, um, and going against what they're being raised with. But at the same time, not everybody does that, especially people who grow up in neighborhoods like that. I think that's probably rare. Especially, I, I feel like Charlie's probably at the age of being like a preteen or something like that, I, I would say. 12. And I yeah. was doing the math when you were talking about it because um, James and Mary were like, oh, 10 years ago, we struggled to pay our rent. And now look at us. And so then yeah. he's like, yeah, Charlie would have, he would have been too when they started like. Yeah. yeah. So really going up. So like for the most part, he probably like his memory of actually being able to do things in life he's probably been wealthy Mm -hmm. or at least comfortable Mm -hmm. comfortable in quotes you know so that's that's really interesting to me and we all got this from a b movie at best (laughs) yeah exactly it's like I'm, i'm really excited to hear about what everyone else thinks about all the other movies that have a little bit more depth to them yeah do you have anything else you want to say about like privilege and all this stuff that we've been talking about like I feel like we can go on forever oh forever absolutely there's so much we could talk about here but I think in context of the movie just to kind of keep it on track a little bit I think one thing that I did want to kind of talk about a little bit is how the bloody stranger is immediately said to be 
a homeless person by the polite stranger and his freaks. They say that he's a homeless person, but there are a lot of things about him that make me think he probably wasn't actually homeless. That's so weird because like that means I took the polite stranger's word for it because I this whole time until this conversation I was like he's homeless and now I'm like oh how is what like what makes you think he might not be? Yeah just um if you just re-watching it I was paying really close attention to that if you look at him and this is very possible part of my privilege coming through here so please check me if i'm wrong here but looking at him everything about him is very put together very clean and being homeless and unhoused is the better use of the term now being unhoused does not necessarily mean you are a dirty individual you are perfectly capable of taking care of yourself you just don't have a house a physical house to live in but on purge night this man is the only signs of him having any sort of rough life going on is the fact that he is bleeding and dirty from running for his life the only thing he's sweaty and looks freshly sweaty and he's bleeding and that is the only thing about him that makes him look unhoused in this moment at when you when we first see him we, if you notice when Mary and James start to tie him up. And after this man's been shot, they start to pull up his shirt so that they can like press on his wound to make him pass out. He's very clean. He is very clean for someone who's got several layers on and is supposed to have been a homeless person. And not saying that homeless people are not clean, but generally, and I think in this instance of the purge having a history of going to the extreme on things like this, I feel like he probably would have been portrayed as dirty if he was actually homeless. Yeah, um, if they wanted to be like, this person's definitely unhoused, they would have been like, here are all his cuts. And like, they probably would have made him a drug addict just for like fun. Exactly, exactly. So, but he he did not have a lot of signs of being unhoused in this film. Um, and just knowing, and granted, this was the first film in the franchise. So maybe they weren't quite at the ex- levels of extreme and detail. They go into so much detail with things. They've got so many hidden things, despite not being subtle at all. They've got a lot of detail that they put into their movies. Um, <laughs> so um, that's just one thing that I really thought about. And I mean, the fact that they made such a big deal of showing the dog tags when uh, James and Mary tied him up, that is one thing. There are a lot of unhoused vets out there. So I to- fully get that. But also, I don't know, that just made me really think that maybe he wasn't unhoused. And these people just saw a random black dude on the street and were like, you're a pig, let's go. When in real reality, um, we see in the second film that he is part of this resistance movement. Like, what if he was just out patrolling and trying to help protect people on the night of? What if he was already a part of this resistance movement? Mm-hmm. I haven't s- seen him in the second movie in a while, so I could be like preemptively doing stuff here. Like, what if he was just out and about? He was he's ex-military of some sort. What if he was just trying to help people and he got caught up by a mob of people, you know? Yeah, we do see like in the TV series and throughout the franchise, there are people who are out and about just like helping people, trying to yeah. set up triages. So he okay. could have been doing something like that. Um, Absolutely. We, we don't know. And again, most of us probably take the polite stranger like, oh, yeah, this guy's like definitely unhoused without yeah. putting that much thought into it because it like, one, it feeds into our bias. And two, it's just a very simple like, yep, yeah, makes sense. 
Yeah. And you're taught to believe the pretty white people. Oh God. Media. You're you're taught to believe that. He's, he, he's, he is literally described as being the polite stranger. Part of he is very intentionally very polite unless he's being violent. Like even when he goes to um kill James, he like he stabs him and then kisses him on the forehead very delicately. Like he is very polite, like he is doing everything a gentleman should be doing. So you're trained to like believe him. Why wouldn't you question him? You know, I mean, that's just one aspect of that that really made me think, is he actually unhoused or is he just are are they using our privilege against us watching this of not being in the situation? Yeah, all that makes sense. I know they have it set like in regular suburbia that is supposed to be a stand in for like, this is just like your neighborhood. But we find out like through moral building that it's probably like in California or I think it might even be in New Orleans. So mm-hmm. that would explain why I don't call him Dante. He is Dante in the second movie. <laughs> oh, okay. great. Give him a name. Let's give this man a name. He deserves towards, a name. Towards the end of our episode, I'm finally going to reveal his name. <laughs> Dante. But more than likely, Dante is in New Orleans. Although mm-hmm. he does show up in the third movie too. And the third movie is in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's traveling. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, realistically, in suburbia, there aren't a ton of unhoused people in just suburbs. There really aren't. I mean, there's there probably are, but like not in most. If if there are unhoused people, they're in non-urban areas, they're in parks, they're in public places, they're not really in suburbs. So why is he in this huge suburb, just huge by based on the scale of the houses? Mm-hmm. You know? You know what I mean? Yeah. If he is unhoused in a suburb, like, yeah, you're right. He's going to be, like, in a public space. But based on my living in the South and, like, just driving around, I find, like, the public spaces aren't near these gated communities that often. So either that means, like, a lot of chasing or how is he getting into the gated community? Are they all climbing over the fence? Okay, now I just have way more questions. Yeah, I was like, I think he lives in the damn community. Okay. Like, which which is an, another implication in and of, of itself. It's like you're ignoring people of, in your community because they don't look like what you expect them to look like in this community. Oh, and that happens all the time. Like, think about the Black people who walk around their own damn community that they've lived in for years, who get told they need to get out of there because they couldn't possibly live there, mm-hmm. who get the police called them for just walking around their own neighborhood you know or like famously henry lewis gates who had the police called on him because he was trying to enter his own house yeah exactly it's like just think about that there's so many more implications to that (laughs) oh on that note should we end the privilege conversation and go to a lighter part to wrap up this episode let's do it (laughs) you want to tell me about the funniest or the most what the fuck moment that happened in this movie absolutely um let me find this okay so i've got two okay two and we've already kind of talked about one and it was the um blood the blood packs um and that's just (laughs) me from being like a theater nerd and being like did they use ketchup on this man's hand and acrylic paint um (laughs) 
first of all, um, but also <laughs> I've got so many weird thoughts. I just want to, can I just read you my stream of conscious notes from yeah. this? It's like two pages, but I just <laughs> think it will sum up my entire experience of this movie because it's really very stream of consciousness. Okay. Notes. Holy shit. This takes place in 2022. What are those blue flowers? JK, uh, in parentheses, JK support the purge, apparently. Mm-hmm. I can't not see Lena Haiti as Cersei. John Hopkins, I wonder if this research, quote unquote, has any basis in fact. These cookies are clearly poisonous, parentheses, apparently not, question mark. Um, what is this cheesy growl to say I love you shit? My God. Um, do you remember that? That was so fucking weird. I'm like, are we in the early 2000s? Listen, <laughs> just really quick. I don't know if you've seen you, but that scene from The Purge walks so I wolf you can run in you. Oh my gosh, I have not seen, well, maybe, have I seen you? I don't think I've seen you, but now I need to. <laughs> okay, what the fuck is this doll? Is this kid Sid from Toy Story? Why is Ethan Hawke checking out cameras before locking down? AKA, why wait so long slash close to the time of commencement? Like it was seconds before commencement started when he locked down. I don't feel like this is a good way to talk to your kid about participating in the purge. Do you remember that? He's just like, well, if we felt like it, we would participate, but like yeah. we don't because we don't feel like it. Charlie was uh, anti-purge the whole movie. He's the only one that didn't flip anything. Absolutely. Whole movie. Creepy boyfriend shit, but whatever. Apparently, let's start making it out. Also, was the panty shot necessary? Because there was absolutely a panty shot for Zoe. Oh um, yeah, when they started making out on the bed, they focused in on her underwear up her cool. skirt and then trailed up to them making out. Oh, um, yeah hey how old is this boyfriend supposed to be dude you're gonna get shot don't open the doors kid charlie what the fuck god i hate ethan hawk in this role did they straight <laughs> up use ketchup and acrylic paint as blood on henry why wouldn't they have cameras inside the house they have cameras everywhere outside the house why the fuck don't they have them inside this house being unhoused isn't a crime, periods between every single word. You know that man's reaction wasn't going to be to get real close to this creepy ass doll. I mean, do the parents really not know where this kid's hidey hole is? Quote unquote, send out he or that shall be thee. What the fuck? Why does the polite stranger speak like that? And that um, also goes into like being really polite privilege and like speaking in proper terms Mm -hmm. proper american english sort of thing this poor man do you really need rope these people are so goddamn dumb at least i had the decency to back the tape on the guy's face this was hilarious to me the fact that they they roped they, they tied this guy up but they put tape on the um they backed the tape so that it could easily come off his face so it wouldn't rip his skin up you oh could get it off easily they they tied him up to get him killed but they didn't want the skin to rim yeah because like there's no way you're getting duct tape off your face without backing it mm-hmm. and he easily got the duct tape off his face so they were at least polite enough to do that for him <laughs> um also ethan hawk is such a bad actor in this what the fuck is this movie why did i think this was good initially i really appreciate the polite stranger's facial expressions why the hell don't they release the dude wearing dog tags to help them dumbasses wait was henry's entire purpose in this movie a way for the vet to hide when he first gets into the house are these people teenagers or adults turn off your flashlight charlie you know one of these frat boys would try to rape zoe in real life in response to them creepily staring at her pictures on the wall also why the fuck is she just hiding under her bed she knows where this boy's secret hidey hole is that apparently no one knows where it is did I say he hate Ethan Hawke yet? 
Um, <laughs> the blood packs in this movie are wild. Yes, double tap, follow those zombie land rules. That was such a smooth stabbing. Did you have you rewatched the stabbing scene of like the polite stranger stabbing um, James? Because it is very smooth. I need to rewatch it. Like, I think I got distracted by the forehead kiss. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it's like he was just holding a knife as he was walking around the corner and James was walking around the corner at the same time. And it just so happened to go in very smoothly and perfectly. And he was like, yes, this is exactly what I was hoping would happen. <laughs> and let me lay you down perfectly and gently and give you a forehead kiss goodnight because I love you so much. It was so smooth. Go rewatch that scene. It's, it's beautifully smooth. Yes. Also, that forehead kiss, though, chef's kiss. I knew the neighbors were involved in this. I thought I was going crazy. The tickling is hilarious, though. They were, the freaks were tickling Mary before they were about to kill her. And I thought it was hilarious for some reason. I paused because I was laughing so hard at them tickling Mary before they were about to kill her. God, I really thought the neighbors wanted to kill them, too. Wait, why did Mary wait so long to go help her husband? She just like looked off in the distance trying to figure out, was that really him like five feet away from me on the stairs for like two whole minutes before she walked over to try and help him while he's bleeding out on the stairs? Why was Charlie immediately available when Cersei called for him? Like he immediately came out from hiding. Oh, I knew I remembered the neighbors wanting to kill them. I'm not crazy. Can you imagine hating your neighbors this much because you bought something from them and then they used that money? Like, how dare they? The neighbors use packing tape, and I'm like, really? Packing tape is really easy to cut through, I'm just saying. If I had to tie someone up and kidnap them, I'd be good at it, I'm just saying. This is some shit that happens in neighborhoods with HOAs. I love how they aren't addressing the man with the gun. They're talking to Cersei the entire time Mm -hmm. that this man with the gun is pointing it at the neighbors whatever also can you imagine staying up all night long as an adult to see the the dawn and like being perfectly awake just because you wanted to be you can't like forever purge the um guy was like they need to give us a, a day off after the purge right right like no adult does that and looks perfectly happy to be there Mm-mm. who does that unless you work night shift anyway and even then I've dated a lot of people who work night shift for some reason I'm just now realizing but like they're never happy and the, they're never still okay with being awake that late also oh there's Cersei get over it bitch you can afford a nose job um <laughs> this poor dude has had the worst night and you ask if he's gonna be okay you aren't even gonna offer to help pay for his hospital bills because your husband, sh- because he's been shot, dude saved your life and you were clearly loaded. Also, he was identified as being unhoused early on in the film, whether that's true or not. But you're just going to ask if he's okay. You don't know this man's name. You're just going to let him walk away after he just saved your damn life. And that's perfectly fine. Also, this man's name was Bloody Stranger in the credits. And my favorite little tidbit afterwards, this was me thinking what's happening the next day. So why are you selling the place? Well, my neighbors decided to purge my family and I didn't really appreciate that. So it's a great house. (laughs) Like what? Not only this is a great movie to be like, get a smaller house. Like people can disappear in here. Right? Like you can lose an entire person in your house easily. Like what? And your kids, where you have to be like, stay together. Yeah, like, that's a problem. That's a real problem. Like, why? Such disgusting display of love. Like, do you really need that much? 
could you not have like done ex- gone on an experience or like upgraded something in your house if you really needed to spend your money or just buy your stupid goat yeah like what buy a moat or something like yeah That's really the security system that jane still wasn't doing no. it it's not working get a moat get a portcullis go back to the medieval times clearly that shit worked get an alligator you know? yeah yeah pet alligator get some piranhas in that moat like live it up nobody's coming for you next church <laughs> oh god so i had two very like oh lord moments um mm-hmm. definitely the wolf of let's yeah. come out and say i love you except he so did say weird. he told her then later that night like i love you like okay you're about to go kill my dad i get it i had a moment there was like where i was like is this the first time they're saying i love you to each other because this was a really weird exchange like i thought that was his way of saying i don't want to say i love you back that's what Um, i thought too (laughs) then he says it later and then when ethan hawk comes home and he turns off the radio and he's like jiggy jig i was like what what yeah i don't remember that (laughs) yeah Because it's very it's so fast. Like he's listening to the radio, people being like, I'm gonna go purge my boss of or oh the purge is like by eliminating the poor, da 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 da. So they're like coming off on the last segment of it. He turned Mm -hmm. on the keys and he's like, We're home, jiggy jig, and then you cut to Mary. That's so weird. (laughs) What the fuck? That's so weird. Who wrote this? I don't know. It's so strange. This movie is so bad, but I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, would watch again. But like, I really considered watching it twice once to have these like visceral what the fuck moments and then a second time to actually like pay, att- like, pay attention to like the thematic stuff. But I felt like I got enough out of it the first time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you for watching this again mm-hmm. and being on this and venturing out on this podcast idea this weird podcast idea but um i liked it it was a lot of fun um do you have yeah. any to plug any pluggables support your local arts organizations i don't have any social media worth following unless you want to see a lot of cat pictures but really support your local arts organization support your library help out the unhoused populations in your neighborhood and like know your neighbors maybe yeah make sure they don't want to kill you make sure you're not calling the police on random people who actually like live in your neighborhood and are up to no or like perfectly normal people maybe, maybe just, don't just call the police off. yeah don't call the police don't don't utilize that service unless you like actually like really really need to and even then like question it a little bit you know question everything that's a good note to end on question everything don't call the police Make yeah. sure your neighbors don't want to kill you. Yeah, don't accept cookies from your neighbors on purge night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember her name, especially from Grace, because Grace. Grace can't be t- trusted. Also, that name itself for that character, they chose that on purpose. They did. They're like, we can't call her Karen, we'll call her Grace. It's gonna be Grace. Yep. And this is in 2013 before like the true rise of Karen's, but yeah. It's not the same. Also, go watch the purge TV shows because they're great and shouldn't have been canceled shouldn't have been it's an it's a true injustice Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially for me especially for me but yes thank you everyone for tuning in i hope to see you on our next episode
If you like this episode, please rate, subscribe, and share with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow. And if you would like to be a guest on this show, please reach out at purgatorypod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you.